Hi, Bookmatic Lifelong Learners. We have a great guest today, Anne Heffron. She is the author of You Don't Look Adopted. Uh, I loved reading this book. I just finished it up a few days ago at the beginning of uh, January. And uh, it's got a very interesting message. Um, and uh, the writing style is very interesting. But yeah, basically, in my opinion, it's, it's for, uh, well, basically for anyone out there to understand adoption a little bit better. Uh, and also just to get to know Anne a little bit better as well. I feel like she wrote on a very personal level. I got to, to know her a little bit better through her writing. Uh, that was very exciting. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna let Anne kind of introduce herself, her book, and, uh, and also welcome her to the show. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Matt. Um, so what Matt didn't tell you was he gave me four out of five stars. So we have to talk about that. We have to talk about the missing fifth star. Okay. And, and, and I know, and I, and I think I know why. Um, and it's actually part of the book, I think. And um, to me, the book feels like a miracle because I had the impulse to write a story, which really was my story since I was maybe 18 or maybe even earlier. Um, and I tried, I went to college and I majored in literature and I went to graduate school and I majored in creative writing, um, but I kept getting stuck. And um, so I lived the life of someone who did her stuff, but really what she wanted to do was write but I didn't have, it, the story wouldn't come out. And I, I tell people that it felt like I was trying to shit a watermelon. Like there was something so big inside of me, but it was too big to come out. And also, <laughs> also if it came out, it would kill, it would kill me. So it, it, I had to learn how to manage the body sensation of having a story too big to tell um, and how to do what felt like what was impossible. And the miracle was that um, my life gradually kind of fell apart. Like things kept happening. Like I would, the worst things were that I got divorced a second time. I got fired from teaching because I threw a pen at a student and said fuck and started crying. <laughs> Which as you can imagine as a teacher it's your, pretty much your worst nightmare to fall apart in front of the classroom. Um, and um, I couldn't think very clearly. And um, I saw on Facebook this, this um, I had read a memoir. I don't really wanna advertise the, where I went, but I read a memoir of someone and on Facebook I saw that she had a writing retreat. And, um, so I contacted her through Facebook and, and right away she called me back and she was good at sales. And she said she had one space left and it was the exact amount of money that was on my emergency credit card. It was very expensive. Um, and I said, yes. And I went to this, I, went, I said yes, because she told me she was the person that could help me write my story. So I, I went and she wasn't. Um, 
but when I, I went there, I met um, a really famous author who was there sort of by mistake because she had also been a little misled about what this place was about. Um, but um, out of the blue, this author offered, um, she said to me, if you ever need a place to write for a few weeks, you could come to New York and have my apartment. And um, I said, that's super great. Um, I live in California and I just used all my money that I don't even have because it's on a credit card to come here. Um, so thank you, but you know, maybe in another life. And then I went back to California and um, my life continued to fall apart. And I realized, you know what? I don't want to die and not have written this book. So just, I'll just do whatever I can and, and I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to throw myself over the cliff and, and do it because um, my mom, who I tried to get to write her whole life, because I knew she wanted to write, um, didn't start writing until she was in her 60s. And then she died before she finished her book. And then after she died, her brother finished it for her and it ended up on the cover of the New York Times book review and in um, the New Yorker, which was her dream. Um, and so I, I saw that you can die before you finish your book and that um, it's not a pretty death. I didn't think my mom died entirely happy. I think she died a lot happier than she would have if she hadn't been writing that her oncologist said that um, he wished everyone had a project like she did because she lived a lot longer than most people with pancreatic cancer live. So I also got to see that the journey itself of writing um, sustains you and it's, it's, it's pure, I think, and it's good. Um, so even though common sense said I couldn't go to New York, I, um, I packed up all my stuff. I had in a an apartment in a place that's hard to find an affordable apartment. Um, but I, I gave it up. I packed up all my stuff. My daughter was in college, so it felt like it was okay to go. And um, I got a bunch of credit cards. And, um, and I went and I lived in the most beautiful apartment I've ever seen. Like, it was spectacular. And it was bought through book money. Like she had written a really successful book and she had this gorgeous apartment and, and I was there and I was supposed to be there for two weeks. And then I had a writing thing in Martha's Vineyard for two weeks. So I went to New York for two weeks and then I went to Martha's Vineyard for two weeks. And um, early on in Martha's Vineyard, I had, um, I couldn't do it. I couldn't write it. And um, I was doing the same stuff I'd always done. My writing teachers had over the, unilaterally, everyone said, you have great dialogue, but you stay on the surface. But I didn't know what that meant because I lived on the surface. So I, I didn't understand, like what, I didn't know how to get deeper. I didn't know what they were talking about. It was very frustrating. So I was writing that same way in Martha's Vineyard and so I texted a friend of mine who was, I mean, this is sort of the miracle of when you're on the path because the person I texted, I had met on Tinder and it turned out he was the best editor in the world. And he supported me like every day he would help me with this book. I mean, the miracles when you, when you find your path and go on it are tremendous. But I wrote and I said, um, I can't, I can't do it. 
and I, I was standing in the middle of the road in a snowstorm and I was just sort of waiting for a car to hit me because I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, this was, I didn't have a plan B. This, my plan was to come to the East coast and stay. I called it ride or die to stay until I finished and, and I couldn't finish. Um, and, and so I wrote to him and I said, um, I, I can't do it. I don't know what my story is. I don't know who my audience is. I don't know anyone who would even really care like to read this. And, and I'm afraid if I keep writing, I'm gonna have to say I have value and I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. And that last sentence really shocked me because I didn't know that, like, that just came out. And normally I would have erased that sentence because it showed too much of me, but I was in despair. I had thrown down the white flag, so I pressed send. And he wrote back right away and he said, that's your voice. And that's when everything changed for me because when I said that about the value, all this time I had been writing from my head and I think of it like the chipper, like an idea goes and it goes through the chipper of everybody else's analysis of my thought. So my parents, my teachers, my friends, society, and it's really hard to sustain that kind of thinking when the chipper's involved. But when I said that about the value, it was like this silver river of truth that ran in front of my spine. And it was a body feeling. I, I knew that place. And, but no one had given me permission to write from that. That was the place where as a child, if I had spoken from that place, it didn't resonate with other people. And so like I had learned to try to ignore that place, to shut down that place, to not listen to that place. And for someone to place value on it and to say that's actually the place, then I could write because I knew that place, like that place had plenty to say. However, it, it wasn't, doesn't mean it was easy. I, before this book, I, I wrote a screenplay um, with um, Antonia Bogdanovich and we wrote a bunch of screenplays until we made one. Mm -hmm. And she used to get a little frustrated with me because um, I would be like timid about writing. And um, what she didn't understand was that it felt like each word was like a fish hook I was pulling out of my body because every word, if I said the wrong word, I could have people not like me and then abandon me. And mm -hmm. if you've had trauma as a child, uh, to be abandoned means you're going to die. And my adult brain didn't know the difference between its brain and my child brain. And so to me, writing really was playing with possible, like, I know, I never can say this word. I'm going to whisper it and then you're going to say it right. Annihilation. Okay. Uh, annihilation. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Annihilation. Like this, like just this, so this sudden I would just disappear you know and it was so unreasonable that it, it wasn't something that um it just kept getting in my way so um when he said that however the story started coming out and the other thing that I that I had found was um the way my brain is I think when you've experienced trauma as a child and and I think that any person who's had a significant disconnect, primarily with their mother, but but a, but any like primary caregiver, their sense of self often fractures, 
and, and they have a lot of coping mechanisms. So I realized that in school, I had been taught and the books that I read were mostly written by people whose brains were like mirrors and their brain reflected the world and they just transcribed what they saw that went from A to B, right? Like that's the narrative, it goes from A to B. But my brain had been dropped. So my mirror was fractured. So I can't, I don't sustain narratives. And it looks like I jump around all the time in my conversations. You know, my brain goes from, it, it zigzags, but there are connections. It's just that they're not classic connections. Um, and I don't have to explain to my friends how I get from A to B, they just follow. Or if they say, wait, how did you, like, wait, we're, we're leaping from one thing to another. You know, it looks like ADD. I think a lot of adopted kids, looks, it looks like they have ADD, but I just think it's trauma brain. You know, the brain's distracted. Like, am I okay? Why didn't she keep me? Am I safe? Um, but but once, I, once I allowed myself to have a fractured brain, I realized that two, two of the writings that I loved the most, one, Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried and William Gass's In the Heart of the Heart of the Country. Mm-hmm. And also um, um, Susan Minot's book Lust or short story Lust, they all were in sections. And Tim O'Brien's, I mean, his is chapters, but he, because he's coming at the same story from different angles. And his whole whole question in that book is how do you tell a true war story? Like, how do you write about what people don't want to hear about? Mm-hmm. And, and I felt that was relevant. Like no one really wants to hear about adoption trauma because I had nice parents and like what it does, it's not a nice story. It doesn't, it's like, it's mm-hmm. people generally don't want to hear it. Um, so once I allowed myself to have what I was writing mirror my brain, things made sense to me. And then I could tell the story. And so the way I told it was I told it in pieces, like a, it's so it's like a stained glass window where if you take each one separately and, and Matt, you know, you said at the beginning, you don't like, you didn't like it. Right. Because it, or it was hard to read or because it's like, it was like, why is she doing this? It's not structured. I don't know where it's going. It's mm-hmm. so her centered, right? Like she's complaining. It's a, it's really tricky to tell a story like that and keep the reader. Mm-hmm. And so part of it was I had to stop worrying about the reader mm-hmm. and imagine that that silver river of truth was like a conversation between me and the big ear. Mm-hmm. And the big year was listening. Mm-hmm. And so I had to allow myself the freedom to say things that either might not be accepted or um, even understood. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made it a, a very personal project. And um, the, my, my writing friend in New York ended up giving me her, her apartment for three months. Mm-hmm. So I was there for a long time and, and um, the miracle was, and the very last week, my daughter came to visit and, and I, I have pretty much finished the whole thing. And um, I had done 23 and me just to do it. Cause I was trying everything. 
there was um I knew who my birth mother was but I had no idea who my birth father was and there was no way I was going to find out who he was because nobody said anything and through 23 and me in that last week in New York I found out who he was and it and my daughter was there and it just felt it felt like this miracle in this um the, the journey was very private um, mm-hmm. and I um, self-published the book because it was so private and I had sent it out to some agents while I was in New York and one um, who was an adoptive godmother asked me to send her the, um, the material and I did and she wrote back and she said I thought it was going to be funny and that's when I realized like oh man I'm writing a story that goes against what a lot of people want to hear. And so I think I need full control of it. And also because it's so personal, I want to be able to pull it if I don't want it out there anymore, because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm basically in the book, I took off my mask and I said some super personal things and I hadn't lived publicly or, I mean, these were things I had hidden. And so it, I didn't, know what it would be like to go out into the world and have people know my secrets but more important than that was I wanted to write and when I say this it makes me want to cry and when I want to cry I know I'm like in the in the good place Mm -hmm. I wanted to write the book that that could have like I could have committed suicide you know, like if I hadn't had really good parents and if I hadn't had really good friends, like a lot, there's a significant number of adoptees that kill themselves and mm-hmm. it, the pressures, it, it's, it, it's a lot to have this brain. And so I felt like if I could have one person see that they're not alone, it's worth my embarrassment. Um, but I have to say four years after having that book out, it was rough <laughs> mm-hmm. Like to sit down with some, like I would go on a date and I would sit down and, you know, the person maybe had done some research ahead of time and he would say, I read your book and I would just want to get up and walk away because <laughs> oh. they knew, right? Like they knew so much more about me than mm-hmm. I knew about them. And, and the book was old. It's in my, pa- I don't, I want it to be in my past. It's not who I am now. So when I coach people now, I, I really encourage them to think about who they want to be in the future. Because what I did in the book was I basically, like, I wrote myself into trauma. You know, I got really good at, at describing who I was, but that's not who I want. I, I talked about the prison, but not the outside. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to keep both things in mind. So it doesn't take you four years to recover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Those, that's like, uh, you almost told your whole story there. <laughs> I'm yeah. just joking. Like, yeah. like yeah. I recognize so much from what you said. Uh, I recognize a whole lot of it from the book itself. Um, mm-hmm. And also the way that you speak and it's almost the way that you write as well. Mm-hmm. So but mm-hmm. while I was listening to you, I was like, oh, wow, this, it's almost like I'm like listening to her book. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, maybe you, you already explained the, some of the questions that I was going to ask, such as the, why you decided to write in the fragmented style. And uh, mm-hmm. you, you answered that. And I actually, uh, 
I actually did like the way that you were writing the book because I was actually I was able to understand it, uh, mm. especially after I looked I looked to the back and on one of the back pages you explain why you wrote mm. in a fragmented style. Um, mm -hmm. So that makes sense to me, especially after looking at that last page. And so mm -hmm. it makes me, as a reader, it makes me relate to your story even more, uh, even mm -hmm. though the writing is fragmented, but reading, as a, reading it as a whole, I can understand you. Like, mm -hmm. just like putting myself in, in your shoes. So mm -hmm. uh, I feel like the way that you wrote it Get, you gave it your own character and mm. um, it was almost like a like a reflective process like you're saying that that's who I was but now mm. I'm a different person so by mm. writing that story you got it off your chest right mm -hmm. you got mm -hmm. it out there you got it out in the open mm -hmm. and how many years mm -hmm. ago was it published like what five years ago four. yeah four or five yeah okay cool yeah yeah so I mean, that, that's really amazing, the process of, of writing. So uh, writing has played a really huge part in your life. How, how, would, you say, how would you say it's played a, a huge part in your life? Maybe you, mm -hmm. you can explain a little bit more about that. Well, you know, I spent, last night, actually, I was looking at my mom's journal. Um, I don't look at it a lot, but her friend sent it to me after she died. And my mom processed life through writing. And then my birth mom, who I never met, but she also wrote and my half sister that I don't have contact with, but she's a writer. Um, so part of it is, I think it's just like, that's in my blood. Oh, my birth father also wrote a book. So there's that, but there's also, I think, um, so I don't know that I disassociate, but, but I think I do. And disassociate means like, you're not really in your body and and I think that, um, so the way it manifests for me is I, I forget a lot, you know, it's like, I, I, I'm just, it's like, I wasn't there. And so writing gives me a chance to uh, be there and to mm -hmm. slow down. And, um, there's something really, really, um, I don't go to church, but writing to me is sort of like prayer where, where I'm saying I was here and I, and I noticed and um, thank you. And also it's trying to figure out how do I take what feels tangled and get it on paper so that there's a sense of cohesiveness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I uh, like for me, I also, I journal, maybe mm -hmm. not necessarily on a daily basis, but whenever I feel like I need to write something or whenever I feel like my life is like kind of hectic and uh, I would say journaling or writing has actually saved my life at one point. Um, mm. sa uh, saved my sanity. Like, uh, mm. so yeah, writing is, is definitely huge. And that's cool to hear that it's mm. actually part of you, like mm -hmm. literally part of you. So that's cool. Um, what, uh, what has been the most useful tool in helping you to like cope or overcome your, your separation anxiety, or mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what you want to call it that basically the feelings of, of separation or feelings 
that there was something wrong with you because you were adopted. I know you talk a little bit about that in the book. Mm. So maybe you can explain a little bit to our audience. Yeah, you know, I think that goes back to the writing question because, you know, I don't, we, we were, before you we started um, recording this, we were talking about Pam Cordano, who wrote a book that you liked a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a really wonderful book. And um, um, now I'm thinking about the book and I forgot what my point was. Mm. Okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> not a problem. <laughs> yeah, oh no, I remember. So I was at her house and I was watching her or she was here or whatever and I was watching her journal and, and I and I asked can you read me what you just wrote and, and she read it to me and it was all these beautiful details about the day you know like we did this and, we, and I was th- and I was thinking I would never do that like I would I would never journal about my day like that hmm. and and I realized that I still don't I don't know it's whether I have permission to exist or I want to exist or, but there's some refusal in me to, to do that. And so the writing that I do, like I was blogging maniacally for a while after, after I wrote the book, a friend gave me a blog cause I wouldn't have done it myself. And then I was blogging like a crazy person. And, and the first blog I did, I posted outside of the piece where I wrote it because I thought God was going to strike me down because mm. who, who, who am I to have an opinion about anything like it just seemed too much and then when God didn't strike me down I just like, it was just flowing out of me and my friends asked me to slow down she said you're blogging too much you're going to overwhelm people but like, I was so thrilled that like, I was able to do it that it was more like what you don't like I get it but this isn't about the reader like this is about the miracle that I'm letting myself speak and so for me that that helps overcome this trauma because I'm showing myself it's okay to exist it's okay to see things it's okay to it's okay to have a presence and so Mm -hmm when I coach people that's what I really like I I think that what my teachers didn't know was how hard it it looked like I had a fine time expressing myself like no problem but what they didn't know was like there were significant blocks in here that were blocking the real stuff and so um, I'm better able I'm super interested in what blocks people Mm -hmm. because usually it's some really stupid limiting belief that's crazy right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like I, I don't have a right to be here or, or like I'm like just something that anyone else would tell them you know mm-hmm. that's crazy but but when it's in your own head it, it makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. so yeah. the way I do the way I've dealt with it is by writing yeah mm-hmm. yeah definitely definitely it's a it's a good self therapy just writing whether you publish well, it yeah. or not right well yeah and, it, and what it does the miracle is that it brings you community mm-hmm. and so generally if you have a brain like that you, you probably are with people either that don't understand you or you put on a false self in order to um like to survive mm-hmm. and the writing has brought me community and and that's like that's where the real healing is is in relationship mm-hmm. 
-hmm. So the writing has brought me people like you, it brought me you, right? And then here we are connecting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so um, there's another question that I would like to ask about like the the Amazon reviews. I was looking at some of the Amazon reviews about your book and um, like some people were talking about how like they felt your book was negative and mm-hmm. uh, for, for me, you're just speaking the honest truth, which is great because mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people feel like they need some sort of like fluffy, happy-go-lucky type of message, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. whereas yours was not really that. I mean, it was like mm-hmm. basically you were speaking or writing your thoughts. So mm-hmm. um, what would you say to someone who who thinks about the negative aspects of your book? Like, yeah, what, what would you tell them? Yeah, early on, someone wrote a review that I was Eeyore. Oh, yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, right. And I totally get it because it was a reason why I hadn't written, you know, because I didn't. And it's so many people that I work with are afraid of telling their story because they're afraid of looking negative. Mm. And, 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 and that's where number one, I feel like if you're going to write for an audience, I mean, there's, if you have a desire to sell a lot of books, that's a whole different, that's a whole different thing than writing a true book. If Mm. you want to write a true book, you you, you can't worry about it. It's like art, right? Like if Mm. you, you, if you're creating to create, you just chase down the truth. And the way I picture it is that I was standing in front of a judge and I would rec- I tell people to do this is, is like, what is it that you wanna show in your book? And in my book, I wanted to show how adoption had affected my brain. And so I was, I was just standing in front of a judge giving proof. And, and I was going to know I was done with the book when I felt like I was done proving that I thought um, being relinquished had damaged my brain. Um, And, you know, that's not, it's not a fun book to, this isn't the book I chose to write, right? Like I wouldn't say, oh, I want to write some book about trauma and I still struggle with that. You know, I want to write another book. I want to write fiction that's fun. And, but that's not, that's not, the load that's not like in my basket that's not what I carry in my basket mm-hmm. so I would suggest that people have a point they want to make and then make it yeah yeah definitely didn't you write another book something about writing and thinking or something <laughs> like that? yeah I wanted to see if I could write a book in a day and, <laughs> okay. and uh and the writing and pooping it, I mean it took me a long time to come up with this idea but I really I I think I think it's helpful. Um, mm-hmm. The thing is, is that it costs like $8 to sell a book. I mean, to, you know, it's just expensive. And so um, the first Amazon reader returned it because she was like, this is such a ripoff. There's so few words. So I made a little video on Amazon where I'm reading the whole book. So you don't even have to buy the book. But oh. I wanted to prove that writing isn't special. Writing is like pooping. You know, you <laughs> take in, you take an experience and it comes out. <laughs> but we make writing so, we make writing so special right mm-hmm. it's like because we can you imagine if we got graded on our poops pooping would be an entirely different experience but yeah. how is it any different how is it any different i don't mm-hmm. think it's different 
Mm -hmm. Your sense of humor is hilarious and it comes across in your book sometimes too. So like, it's not all dark and gloomy and angry. Uh, like a couple of times I was laughing throughout your book. And so, uh, yeah, definitely. You just got to write it. You just got to, yeah. yeah, like you said, poop it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right on. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> you got me laughing. Okay. So, uh, Yay. It's 1030 at night, 1045 for you. And <laughs> yes, it is 10, yeah. 1040 now recording this podcast yeah. Yeah. episode. Um, yeah. So let's see. Anything else I have to ask for you here? Um, oh, yeah. Here's another uh, great question before the last couple of questions. So, uh, I know you talk about roots in your book a lot. So uh, in your opinion, what do, what do your roots or what do people's roots have to do with who you are? Mm. That's a great question. I think that a lot of times when people look at adopted people, they, they think, um, oh my gosh, this is so great. You get to be anybody. Like, that's so great. You don't know who your parents are. Like, I knew who my parents are and I don't like them. Or I, I would love to be free of my history. You know, like this is, but what I have found is that if you don't know who you, you, you need to know who you are in order to have the strength to, cre to create for most people. And so I, um, I have found not knowing where I came from, really destabilizing, because then I could be anybody. And that goes both good and bad. And um, it's a super complicated question, because, you know, if I had a different brain, I would just say, well, then I'm going to be the best me that I could be. Um, but it's like, it's like, you, you give someone a pair of skates, but you put them on a lake that isn't frozen. It, it, mm -hmm. it doesn't work. They're just going to yeah. drown. And so um, the, the funny thing is I ended up living on this farm and, and I'm, my title is writer in residence, farmer in training. And so I've been working with plants and like actually working with little baby plants and like sometimes I have to thin them out and I just say sorry 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 and I have to pull them but I feel like the roots cling you know like there's a mm -hmm. there's a tension mm -hmm. and I um I, I wish it was I, I wish it was cleaner I wish I could say um I've learned like there's I'm, I'm, I think I'm getting to the point where I will find great freedom and not, I will develop my own roots. Mm -hmm. But being told that roots don't matter was crippling. Mm -hmm. I think I needed a team of people from when I was little that knew roots mattered and that there was, I, I don't, I don't mm -hmm. know, like there was some sort of like clinic that you could go to where they would do stuff with your brain or have you do somatic exercises, something so mm -hmm. that you would feel rooted. Um, that's such a big question, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people just brush off the idea of adoption and just be like, I mean, you mentioned this in your book as well, that 
you know, a lot of people say, oh, you're adopted. Oh, don't you have good, like, adoptive parents? Yeah. So it's okay. And then they just brush it off, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So, but like, you're living in a strange, you're living, I mean, you lived, where did you grow up? I grew up in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. So you're really, tra- like, you really transplanted yourself, right? And so if when you were born and you came out of your mom and all of a sudden you open your eyes and you're in Indonesia and everyone around you looks Indonesian, your body, like it doesn't smell right. It doesn't like the, it's, it's not the world that you've been living in. Mm-hmm. And if everyone tells you you're fine, this is your home. Like you don't trust your brain because your brain's like, dude, this is not mm-hmm. <laughs> the home. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and, yeah. and so then there's this destabilization, but you were able to do it gradually, right? Like you made a decision to move to Indonesia. Yeah, yeah. And I was already an adult at the time, whereas yeah. as a kid, you don't really have control over that. And uh, you're just kind of tossed around, right? Yeah, and if you're a transracial adoptee, like if you're, if you're born in China and then all of a sudden someone's putting you on a plane, and you're in America and there's white faces looking at you, giving you white food, telling you like there, my name's mom and this is dad. Mm-hmm. Welcome to your life. <laughs> Aren't you, yeah. you're so lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a think, difficult, difficult topic, I guess. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, worthy, it's a big one. It's worthy of talking about, no doubt. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely worthy of understanding. And I believe that your book would help people to understand, at least from your perspective, we have to keep in mind that other people might have different perspective. Other adoptees might have different perspectives. Maybe you have interacted with other adoptees, I'm sure, right? One of them, Mm -hmm. Pam, is also an adoptee, right? Pam Cordano? Yeah, and Pam and I, we lead a group where um, it's two groups that meet every week and there's 27 adoptees in each group. And, but, um, um, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, so. Oh, oh I just, I, so I'm sorry, but I remembered yeah. what I wanted to say was I wasn't trying to be right in my book. I was just trying to give my point of view so that other people could talk. And I, it, because I agree with you. It's like, there's so many points of view. It, mm-hmm. So it's not about being right. It's about just like opening a door so that people could agree or disagree or, or feel that, oh, we could talk about this. That's right, right, right. Good. Yeah, like just taking, for example, when I posted about your book on Instagram, there were, I think one or two, oh yeah, two, two people uh, that, were, that I've been following and they're following me that are adoptees they related mm-hmm. to what I wrote about your book immediately. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, in that sense, whatever you are writing might may relate to other people out there as well. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. you said, open up door, doors. Um, so yeah. Um, have you experienced with the other interactions with other adoptees, have you experienced this, uh, what you called like kind of damaging of the brain or um, it like have have other adoptees mentioned about this type of feeling? Oh yeah. Yeah. And they, and so, um, you know, so many of them think it's them, that there's something wrong with them. And Mm -hmm. so they don't attach it to adoption. They just think there's something 
wrong. And so there's this great relief in seeing like, oh my gosh, there's other people. Like adoptees, I mean, there's, there's lists of things. Gabor Mate wrote this book, Scattered Minds, and he mentions mm-hmm. adoptees. And there's things, you know, funny things like, like walking into doorways or really struggling to read a map or not taking care of your teeth. And it's not that everyone does it, but there's, there's enough things that, that an adoptee can hear another adoptee say they do. And all of a sudden the, um, the, um, the terrible loneliness is lifted because it's like, oh my God, this isn't my fault. Mm -hmm. Like I, I didn't, I didn't drop out of school three times because I'm an idiot. I dropped out of school because my brain is really overloaded with trying mm-hmm. to figure out if I'm safe or not. Mm-hmm. And that I, I get a, a lot of adoptees writing to me like your book. I thought it was just me. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Like just figuring, uh, seeing the fact that other people are going through the same or similar traumas that's the word that i was looking for earlier yeah same traumas or similar traumas yeah wow yeah thank you so much for sharing about like all of the different aspects of your life and your book definitely appreciate it definitely yeah thanks i love what you do and i i just i so believe that if people feel like they want to write that their life is better when they do Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, and is there anything else that you would like to add coming down to the last question here? Anything else you would like to add to, for the listeners? Yeah. You know, I, I think the last thing is, is that um, for as much as I said in my book is that I, I'm still working up the courage to say more. And um, this feels like an ongoing process. And I've, I've realized um have you ever seen a, a a puppy or a kitten that was taken too early from its mom? Like, you know, usually if you want to get a puppy, they wait eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And one, one time I had a kitten that had lost its mom and the kitten was bizarre. You know, it kept sucking on my clothes. It was walking in circles. It was really damaged. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, if, if people started selling puppies the day they were born, like people would notice that these puppies didn't do well. Pam Cordano. It? Oh, there's Pam. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, right. the, the, pup, the, the the puppies um, didn't do well, and so they wouldn't separate them right from birth anymore. And and I think that what I'm seeing is generally adopted people generally they they struggle so much that that they're um, it would be better if they didn't. It, when possible, they didn't separate us. So um, mm-hmm. to write about something that that big is gonna, I, I gotta get a lot of focus to be able to write something that people don't really wanna hear. Right, right. And I think we all need it. I would, yeah. I would read your book. I would read Thank your you. book on that topic for sure. Thanks. I would share about it with the bookmatic yeah. audience. Thanks. Yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you for all the work that you do. And thanks for staying up late and drinking coffee, even though you should be in bed sleeping. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) No problem. Cool. So where can people find you? uh, If you, if they want to contact you for anything or maybe like join your, uh, what is it? Mentoring? Is that what you do? Yeah. 
So can you tell us about that? Sure. I have a blog. It's um, Anne Heffron, A-N-N-E-H-E-F-F-R-O-N.com. And, um, and also on the, that is where I talk about the writing services I offer. And then I'm on social media. I'm taking a three-month break. I'm on month one of the break. But I have um, an Instagram account that's Anne-Heffron, where I do memes about adoption um, and Twitter and um, I don't use so much but I'm there but I'm kind of lame at Twitter the Instagram right. and Facebook are the are the best places cool yeah, yeah. all right so thank you so much and for yeah. everything that you have shared I will make sure to include the links to your profiles and your website Thanks down below. So anyone wants okay. to check that out, they can go ahead and check that out. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, Anne. Thank you, Matt. Have sweet dreams. All right, everyone. Thank you so okay. much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.